Good morning, Covenant Fellowship. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Um, please make your way to your seats and remain standing as we begin our time of praise and worship on this uh, weekend before Thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. To the Lord our God and King, His love endures forever. For He is good, He is above all things. His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. With a mighty hand and outstretched arm, His love endures forever. For the Awesome week, because you got football starting Monday, you got a football on Tuesday, you, I got to get by through Wednesday somehow, I don't think there, but then Thursday, there is lots of football and lots of eating, and then there's football all through the weekend and the eating just keeps on going and it turns into gluttony and I got to come to the altar and all that, so I'm just in my prayer today, I'm going to get the sin part out of the way on gluttony and uh, go from there. But anyway, uh, now a great time of season uh, that's about us uh, in mind. Just keep in mind, uh, we do have our Thanksgiving luncheon today. A lot of food in there, as you can smell it. Uh, it's going to be hard to concentrate. So I think the good thing is, I think y'all stay awake this Sunday because of the food and uh, looking. So, uh, but anyway, as soon as service is over this morning, we'll gather in there. Ask for God's blessing over it and get to delve into all y'all's wonderful recipes. A uh, couple things coming up. Uh, tomorrow night, uh, collective group. Uh, normally we be on Tuesdays, but we have our Tuesday night pray service, which we'll talk about in a second. So collective group, we are going to meet tomorrow night at our house. So it'll be very low key. Uh, we'll just have a couple of snacks and uh, we'll just get into what we get into. So, but again, it'll be at our house tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, uh, those uh, young couples in the collective group and individuals. 
Then our Tuesday night, remember, we will not have Wednesday night service. So if you show up Wednesday night, you need to make sure you bring a message with you because you're going to have to teach it because <laughs> I won't be here. So no Wednesday night service, but Tuesday night, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, we'll gather in here uh, in what we call our praise service. And we'll have uh, uh, some individuals and some couples, uh, three or four, that will just take a time, come up here, uh, don't have a stage. We just sit down here on the floor and uh, sit with them. And then we just let them share what God had and how God's worked through their life over this last year. And uh, just some, some transformation and growth in their life. And just hear their thankfulness of God working in and through their life and through their family. So I encourage you to be a part of it. Uh, it starts at 7 o'clock. Uh, come as you are. If you're getting off work, just come straight from work. Uh, and that's fine. We don't care how dirty you are. If you're smelly, we can sit you in the back. So don't worry about that. And uh, so, but we still want your spirit here. So come and make sure you're a part of that Tuesday night at, uh, excuse me, uh, yeah, Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. Then we will have on December the 2nd, this is a big day. I really need your help, not just because it's church cleaning, but we do need to have church cleaning that morning. But I'm asking for people to participate and show up. We need to get our church uh, Christmas decorations out. Uh, setting up the Christmas tree in the lobby, getting everything down from upstairs, which is a lot easier now because Stephen built the steps for us. And so, so uh, if, you, if you can't get here at 9 o'clock for the cleaning, for whatever reason, but you can get here by 10 o'clock, we need as many hands as we can to get the Christmas decorations out and get them up. And uh, Lloyd's volunteered to go up the ladder on the 12-foot tree to put the star on it. Oh, there you go. It's nice of you. See. So, uh, yeah, we got to find, we'll get one of those young kids to climb up there and put it up there. So, anyway, so that will be December the 2nd. So, please be here uh, to be a part of that decoration. Uh, excited about this morning, a great message. Wayne and I were talking about in the lobby how it came about, uh, how the Holy Spirit works. But if you're joining us online, we're honored to have you with us today. As always, Richard's online to be a blessing in every way he can. So, any questions, anything, holler out at Richard, let him know you're there. But if you'll see in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen, this is a prayer, uh, uh, a tab for prayer. Uh, please let us be a blessing how we can be praying for you. As we always say, it's private, it's secure, it only goes to one source, so it will not be shared. But we want to know how we can be praying for you. But any questions, Richard's there to be a blessing, but we're thankful that you're here with us this morning. And I think that is everything, as far as I know of. So uh, if we can have all of our gentlemen come forward this morning. And we'll ask for God's blessing over the service. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for our time that we could come here to and to worship you, Lord, to uh, receive your blessings uh, throughout the week, to motivate us to continue to want to walk a life with you, Lord. We we take nothing for granted, Lord, and uh, we know you lead our life, Lord. We thank you for this day of Thanksgiving, and we can't thank you enough for all that you share with us throughout our week and throughout our lives, Lord. We turn around and uh, 
Thank you for your son, Jesus, who died on the cross for each and every one of us, Lord. And it, uh, it's this time, Lord, we uh, bless each one and we bless the giver, Lord, as we take this uh, money. We know you don't need our money, Lord, but we'd like to take this money and continue to strengthen your kingdom, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. If you will stand with us, we're going to continue our time of worship. When upon life's pillows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord had done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly, and you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. You look at others with their lands and gold. Think that Christ has promised you his wealth untold. Count your many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven nor your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God had done. Count your blessings. Amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angels will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. 
what God hath done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God hath done. I was a wretch. I remember who I was. I was lost, I was blind, I was running out of time. Sin separated, the breach was far too wide. From the far side of the chasm, you had me in your side. the great divide left behind heaven's throne to build it here inside there at the cross you paid the debt I owe broke my chains freed my soul for the first time I had hope
one thing we can do we might not get everything else right all the personal stuff and all the relationship stuff and all the work stuff the political stuff world's a mess but glory to his name it's not going to stay that way we know how it ends and one of the best things that we can do is thank him for that blood and be under that blood because that's how he sees you. You know, uh, when I was growing up, to my grandma Ruth, I could do no wrong. She was my spiritual leader. She was everything. The most love I ever received, I received it from her. And I promise you that I never felt any judgment from her. But she could describe me to a T. She could say, Deborah's willful and Deborah's going to take charge if you let her, <laughs> and if you don't, she'll sit back and let you. <laughs> but she's not going to jump in. And she could tell you all these intricate things about me, but I never felt that weight. And that's what Jesus does for us. The weight of sin is a great burden. And because of Jesus, he takes it all on him. And we have his mind, his righteousness, his holiness, everything he is. He says, you're getting the good stuff. I'll take the bad. I know who you are. I know how you are. But I'll take all that on me so that I can push all of these other things out to you that will help you have life. So let's come to the altar and pray. And if you don't know that Jesus, if nobody has ever introduced you to him, see me or any of the leadership here. We'll be glad to sit down and tell you how that can happen. Let's pray.
wandering into the night, wanting a place to hide this weary soul, this bag of bones. I try with all my might, but I just can't win the fight. I'm slowly drifting, a vagabond. Just when I ran out of road, I met a man I didn't know. And he told me that I was not alone. You picked me up, you turned me around, and placed my feet on solid ground. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, because you healed my heart, you changed my name. Forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. I cannot deny what I've seen. No choice but to believe. My doubts are burning like ashes in the wind. Because you healed my heart, you saved my name, forever free, I'm not the same. I thank the Master, I thank the Savior, I thank God. Yep. Thank you, ladies. We'll be in Genesis 25 this morning. I think uh, we'll all find this a blessing. The um, that song just said uh, that it will change our hearts. You know, it, it just made me think. You know, why do we come to church? We have to evaluate that. We have to uh, be honest with that. That 
you know, we don't get points for coming to church. We don't get spiritual religious points. We, we come to church, we shouldn't be coming to church, knowing that preaching is not about transferring information. Preaching of God's word, hopefully the God of word and not with a bunch of conjecture or opinion or elaborate illustrations or props. But the preaching of God's word brings about transformation. That's why we should be here. Romans 12, 2, was it? Yeah, Romans 12, 2. Be ye not conformed to this world, but be ye what? By the renewing of what? Your, your mind, the renewing of your mind. You, you know, it was it, uh, I think it's Philippians 2, 5, I have it right. You know, Paul says, let this mind, the transforming of your mind, let this mind be in you, which is also in who? Christ Jesus. This is our purpose. This is why we are called to do corporate fellowship, corporate worship. Come to submit our mind so it can be renewed. That what we hear by way of God's word, if it doesn't line up with our thinking or with our heart, then something needs to change, does it not? Or somebody needs to change. It would be better said, either God needs to change or we need to change. I think we can figure that out. Amen? So I just encourage you, as we listen today, this message, I was telling Wayne, uh, you hear it say many times, God changed it and all that, and uh, he really did this time in a way that I told Sam on Monday, I said, wow, I already got my message, and, and uh, wrote down already three or four scriptures, main scriptures that came to mind, uh, a couple of thoughts. I said, all right, during the week, I can fill this in. This will be good. We had a wedding to go to, and all this stuff, my week got a ways it does. I thought, man, my, I'm going to run out of time. I need to wrap up my message and have it ready to go before we get into all this wedding and stuff. And, and I sit down with my coffee, and I had all my notes, Lloyd, but I didn't have my truth. I, and you said that's the first thing you write down. You know, Holy Spirit, you go, wow, and you write it down real quick. You know, drive and pull over real quick, find a pen, write it down, and go find scripture about it. But I wrote down three or four scriptures, couple of notes i didn't write down my truth at the very top so i was like oh wow i said well i'll just go back and read my scriptures and my notes it'll come to me read the scriptures read the notes no truth i thought uh-oh so just sitting there it was about 5 45 6 o'clock sam was still asleep no music nothing just me and my coffee i thought all right don't panic be still holy spirit will you know Bring it to you. After about 20 minutes, it was crickets. I was like, I kind of looked up. I said, Holy Spirit, I said, I need my truth again. I, I know it was good. It was good Monday. I forgot it. Crickets. So I said, all right, we're going to play that game. I was like, okay. I, I talk weird with the Lord. I said, all right, I, that's fine. You're in control. I'll just read. I haven't read the scriptures yet. I'll just start reading, and you'll get with me like he's on my schedule. So I was like, all right, I'm be, I'll be patient. And so I started reading, and for some reason, my Bible's open to Genesis, and I'm doing my personal devotions through Deuteronomy, so don't remember how it was in Genesis. That's just what was open on my desk. So I'm just drinking my coffee, and I'm just reading about Esau, and boom. He was like, that's the truth 
because it's better than that stuff you came up with on Monday. So this is, this is what you're going to talk about. So all that being said, we're going to look at the story of Esau this morning. And, and we, we're going to look at the aspect of him and Jacob and him selling his birthright. But God just revealed to me four things that Esau did that caused him to miss to miss God's best for him. Do we, know what, I mean, do we not desire God's best for us? Does God not want his best for us? Okay, well, unfortunately, you got to listen to my preaching the way I think, and I know that's scary sometimes. And, and I tell you all the time that I, I love the Old Testament because I learn better by learning what not to do better than I do what to do. Somebody tells me what to do, I usually have more questions than I get done. Well, why? Why are we doing it that way? Right? And it just delays my growth. So God does better with me, as hard of a case as I am. He says, hey, Todd, yeah, you, the stupid one, don't do this. I'm like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. I don't want to do that. And uh, that's the way I learn. So unfortunately, you've got to put up with that preaching of what we should not do. And we see clearly what Esau should not have done. And if we want God's best for us, we got to make sure we don't emulate these actions of Saul. Does that make sense? Three short points. It's not a long message, so we can go eat. Uh, the first three, Wayne and I were talking about it. I think we're all going to say, oh, yeah, that's me sometimes. But, you know, we, we struggle. We all struggle with that. We're fallen creatures, and, and I'm going to agree with you on the first three. It's just things that we got to continually practice in our walk. And we're susceptible to fall to them any time. I think the biggest truth for us is going to be when I mention the fourth one, we don't want to fail in this area. And I think we can make a strong argument. This fourth thing that Esau did is the one that weighed his spirit the most. Unfortunately, it was after the fact for him that we're going to see in Scripture. So pay attention when we get to number four. I'll point it out to you. But here's the point. Have you ever missed a great opportunity? Oh, I think we all have. We can look back and say, man, I should have been there. I wish I would have been there. wish I would have done this. Or in Sam's case, I wish I would have married him instead or something like that. You know? <laughs> but uh, and so when you do, when you're like, man, I, I wish I wouldn't have missed out on that, only thing you're left with is would'ves and could'ves. And it's kind of what happens to Esau here. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, if you're around my age, and I think they may still be on TV sometimes, but it seems like they were more so tied to those monster truck rallies. You know, at Texas Stadium, they have all the imagery of the monster trucks and stuff, dates, times, all that stuff. And how, remember how it would close with that booming voice? Be there, be there, be there. Anybody ever, or am I the only one that heard those commercials? Yeah. You're like, I don't care about monster truck, don't care, I'm busy that day. And for some reason, when he goes, be there, be there, be there, you're like, man, maybe I should be there after all. And he's like, I don't want to miss out. Sounds like more to it than I thought. So this morning, we we're going to talk about don't miss out on God's best for you. Amen? All right, so let's, let's look here. So um, go to our notes. So th think of, I want to start off with this little imagery in our mind. Think of water. You heat water up to 211 degrees. That's pretty hot. I mean, you get in hot tubs that are like 95 to 100, and we know what that feels like. 
maybe if you're really thick-skinned, you can bump it up to 110, but after a few minutes, you're sweating in the hot tub. You know, that's around 105, 110 degrees. 211 degrees is hot. You know what happens at 212 degrees? Boiling point. It starts boiling. And also, when it starts boiling, what does it produce? And that steam alone can move a locomotive. My point is, the separation between moving a locomotive and just being hot water is one degree. You miss that one degree from 211 to 212, it doesn't produce what you'd want it to produce by way of locomotive or engineering aspects. In the same way, man can be prone to quit on the promises of God. Our impatience, our negative thoughts, our aspects, we stop a lot of times. Illustrative purpose is one degree short of what would produce the steam in our life to move us in a great way in the goodness God has for us. Because when we talk about the best God has for us, we're talking about the goodness of God that he bestows upon us. We know that, or we should know through wisdom, that stamina and faith stay the course and scripturally win the race. So if we truly want what's best for us by way of what God has for us, do we not have to hold on even during the heat knowing just one more degree if we persevere and, do, and, and endure, God will get us where he wants us. We've got to hold on to that. We say it all the time. You never know what you miss until, until you miss it. And how many times in our Christian walk do we miss out on the goodness of God for our lives, the best God has for us, because we stopped the race, because of doubt, fear, uncertainty. Just getting a little too hot, I can't take any more heat, and we back out, and we're one degree away from God producing in our lives what we ultimately desire. So let's pray, and we'll knock this out this morning. Father, thank you for this morning. Just pray that you anoint this truth in every word that's spoken. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So again, don't miss it. Don't miss unlocking God's best in our life. So uh, we're going to get into the context here, but to shorten the time, in Genesis 25, we know we have Jacob and Esau. Uh, these are the twin sons of, uh, of uh, 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 my mind just went blank, huh, Father? of uh, Isaac and Rebekah. And, and so we know by law at the time that the firstborn son got the double portion of inheritance of the father. And, and that was traditions. God's law is the way it was. So it comes along, and Esau was the firstborn, even though they were twins. Yet prior to that, Rebekah had been given a vision, a truth, that said the younger son would serve the older son. But we got to keep in mind, is not God sovereign? Do you think there's a chance that God knew where and what he was going to get in Esau? So when he told Rebekah, hey, the younger is going to serve the older, she was aware of this. So, uh, again, for context, so the story comes about, you know, uh, Jacob, what's the sense, was a homebody. You pick on him, say a mama's boy hung around the farm or on the land. Esau was a cunning man. He was out in the woods shooting anything that moved. If it moved, he wanted to shoot it, clean it, eat it. You know, then you say a man's man versus a, a mama's boy. 
not the issue of the point. So anyway, Esau comes in. He, he, he's famished. He's like, he's just worn out. Whatever journey he's been on, however long he's been hunting, he, he, he needs relief. He needs, to, you know, refreshments, nourishment, food. Well, here comes Jacob with the red pottage. And he's like, ah, give me some of that. I, I want that. They go, ah, it's all yours for a price. You know, what do you want? What do you want? I just meant I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, give it to me. Ah, holding it back, smell, blowing it, this aroma like this food coming across. He says, give me your birthright. He says, my birthright? Yeah, I'll sell me your birthright. Esau says, okay. In the moment where the heat was turned up in his life, when he thought he had to have something, where he lost control of his emotions, his thinking, truth, what was right, what was promised to him, he stepped out way above his spiritual pay grade. He said, my birthright? Oh, you can have my birthright. I want something to eat now. And he was so focused on the temporal and what he needed and thought he needed right then, he gave up on the best that God had for him. Now, he didn't know what that was, and we don't know what that ever would have been. Only God did. And Esau gave that up. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 12. In verses 16 and 17, we see, even though there was trickery on the you know, the basis of Jacob. We know Jacob's heart wasn't pure by any means in what he went about. But the Scriptures put the onus and the accountability back on Esau. Here in Hebrews 12, 16, 17, least there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau. For one morsel of meat did what? So this is such an issue to God and what God wanted out of Esau, that God's now still writing about it, what would be, I guess, around 3,000 years later. He said, don't be like Esau. Don't for just a morsel of food, just for this momentary moment, don't give up the best God has for you. Don't be like Esau, who sold it for his birthright. For you know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing which God's word gave to him, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with what? Tears. Yeah, he was beyond sad about it. Esau finally realized once he got himself taken care of, once he pacified himself, then he realized what he gave up. He was in tears. Regretful tears. Not because God doesn't love him. Because Esau, the fourth point we'll get at, missed a valuable point. Again, unfortunately, too many believers miss the Father's best. His plan and goodness for them. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than theirs, so are my ways higher than your ways. We've got to be awful slow operating outside our spiritual pay grade. 
We need to stay in the humility of the Lord, knowing that no matter what we can't see, God sees it. He's sovereign. He knows what's best for us. He knows what his purpose is through us. It's all for the glory of his kingdom, and it will be to our good if we're patient in God's goodness. The Scripture's full of stories. Various people who miss God's calling on their lives to a certain degree, or the fullness of God's calling on their lives. God's plan for the Israelites was for them to enter the promised land very, very easily. Not 40 years later and generations dying off. That was them giving up on God's goodness for them because the heat got turned up on them out in the wilderness. Moses, before we pick on the Israelites, Moses. He was told to speak to the rock by God's word. And God says what he means and means what he says. And Moses, so frustrated in the moment, lost composure, lost his character, and struck the rock out of his anger and frustration with the Israelites. And he didn't get to, he got to see the promised land. God's goodness to him was good enough to see what would have been. Moses never got to enter the promised land. Now, he got to go home. Not that he completely lost, but how do we know what God was going to continue to do with Moses in the promised land? Now, the thing is, we will not stop God's perfect will. God's will will be done. It's either going to be done through us or it's going to be done without us. When Moses struck the rock, God didn't tell the Israelites, well, your leader blew it. Good luck. Moses blew everything. No, Moses didn't stop God's will. God's promise of the promised land was fulfilled. God's promises in and around our lives, how he interjects through our lives for that to come about, is either going to be done with us or without us. If it's done with us and through us, it's going to be God's goodness towards us. God's best will play out in our life. Look what it says in Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in who Christ Jesus unto what good works which God hath what ordained before we ever started walking in them before we were formed in our mother's womb God had ordained a good walk for us that the best he has for us would play out through our lives if that's what we're looking for this is where Esau failed in his walk. Of the oldest of the twins to Isaac and Rebekah, by way of his birthright, he gave up his double portion in what would be his calling to lead the family. And again, this was just a fulfillment of Rebekah's vision in Genesis 25, verse 23, where it says the older will serve the younger. Though God's sovereign, he chose Jacob, but God's word puts the blame again back on Esau. We read in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, don't be like Esau. So how do we learn not to be like Esau? That's what we're going to look at. Four simple points, and we are through this morning, and it will build to number four. So let's look at some obvious decisions that Esau made that caused him to miss out the best that God had for him. Number one, lack of faith. Lack of faith leads to missing God's best. 
Hebrews 11.6 tells us where there's no faith, there's no reward. Look what it says here. But without faith, it is impossible to please him, God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, that he is a what? Rewarder of them that, are, that diligently seek after him. So right off the bat, if we give up our faith to God's will, God's way, faith simply, we, we, simple it, we simplify it, and, and sometimes I think we do it some injustice by saying it's just obedience. It is, but, but it's, that, it's that willingness to put God's word over our own that it may not be comfortable at the moment. It may cause us to have to do or make hard decisions when the heat's turned up, but faith is what allows you to hold to the promise of God. This is my birthright. God promised the birthright to the firstborn. I'm the firstborn. God did not have me firstborn by accident. I was firstborn for a reason. This is his ordained will that I would get this double portion and I would step in eventually as leading my family. When Esau said, that's not important to me. I know it's God's will, but it's not my will right now. I'm hungry. You want that? I'll step out of my faith and I'll sell it to you so I can get this temporal moment in my life. Because at that moment right there, I don't want to give away the fourth point. Esau made his worst decision. This birthright was more than just Isaac's inheritance. More importantly, it was to be and play the part God called him to play. It's not Isaac or, you know, Esau saying, ah, it's my birthright. I don't really want it. I'll give it to somebody else. Is that his decision? No. God gave it to him. God ordained it on him. He was the first one. He did not have the right to make a decision that that's not what I want. Not important to me. Somebody else can have it. It's the very heart of Esau's demise. It's the sad reality that he did not believe the word of God or take the promises of God's word to heart. His faith was not important. Putting God's word over his wasn't important. Nevertheless, despite his faults and ungodly manipulation, Jacob stand and stood as the man of faith. Did he not know the word of God? Did he not know that Esau had what he wanted? So can you not make a fair argument that Jacob had more faith than Esau? You want to give it up? You want to be a fool? You want to be un, you know, disobedient, unfaithful? I, I'll take it because I know that promise. You fail to see it, I do. You don't think it's important? <laughs> I can do a lot with that. Jacob knew what he wanted because Jacob knew the promise that Esau had, and he wanted that promise. He knew what it would do. Nevertheless, despite his faults and ungodly manipulation, it ended up being Jacob, Jacob that moved, though through lying and stealing, that moved through faith more than Esau. Our lack of faith, or thereof, can single-handedly delay or cause us to miss God's goodness in our lives. Every time we act the same way, that we take for granted, or we don't think that truth's that important, or, ah, okay, I'll just tell God I'm sorry, he understands, I'm not perfect, I'll just tell him I'm sorry, but this is what I'm going to do. Then we're acting just like Esau. We lose our faith. Because in the heat, it's too hard to make the right decision. 
And so we walk out of our faith. We walk out of our obedience. We put our needs, our wants over the word of God. We've got to be careful not to do that. David knew the importance of faith. We know the famous Psalms 23, remember? Though I walk through the valley of shadow of death. All of us had to memorize that in Sunday school or something. But remember, David says, he prepared for me a table where? In the midst of my enemy. I'll fear not. David says, I don't know how you're going to pull this off, God. The many times he was in his life doing wrong or being chased for his life. David says, you prepared a meal for me, and I'm going to sit down right before the midst of my enemy. But I'm not going to fear. That's the type of faith we got to have that Esau didn't have. Yet, it's possible. It's possible to pursue the right thing the wrong way. That's kind of what Jacob did. But irregardless, we got to know the promise is true. What was wrong with Jacob's bargain? As mentioned, it was not only demonstrated by lack of faith, but also the motivation was purely selfish. And it brought about evilness, though. James 3, 14 through 16. We got that, Mark? I don't know if I gave that to you, James. There it is. But if ye have bitter envy and a strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For we are envying and strife is, there is confusion and evil work. So in Jacob's evil work, evil work his own degree of manipulation to use God's word to his gain did it not drive Esau to want to murder him yeah he didn't edify his brother in Christ demon edify his brother didn't say hey Esau hey no 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 you don't want to sell your birthright no no, you, no I, I understand how you feel just be patient I'll feed you you don't need anything no Jacob and his greed and his manipulation brought about evilness upon himself how uh, 20 something years 22 23 24 years i believe the scripture says he ran from esau he put that hatred in esau's heart when esau realized he was manipulated well number two number one we can't step out of faith two being undisciplined leads to missing god's best for our lives Point is, you got to control your emotions, or your emotions will what? They'll control you every time. Proverbs 25, 28 tells us, says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. You got to think of the time this was written, walls around a city, around a camp were, were vital. Remember Nehemiah? pleaded to go back and rebuild the walls without walls you were vulnerable from attack from every side so he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city without walls you're just subjecting yourself from all kinds of attack we have to control our spirit don't allow your emotions to have more influence over you than god's word don't allow your emotions to have more influence over you than God's word. 
It wasn't Esau's desire for food that was the sin. But when his desire for that food controlled him and he stepped outside of God's will, that's when it became troublesome for him. Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 6, 12. We pull that up. Here we go. All things are lawful unto me, but not all things are what? Expedient. Paul says there's a lot of things I can do per se that are not right and wrong by man or by my wishes, but does that mean it's good for me? No, it's not good for me. So we've got to understand about being undisciplined. It will get us in trouble. When something starts to control us other than God, that's when it becomes a sin. That's when it's going to derail us. Uncontrolled passions, emotions, lust, whatever it is, whether sinful ones or not, often do the same thing for believers. We can do a myriad of things in our life, i.e., I'm not going to hope not to offend anybody, but it is what it is. When we start saying we don't have time for Sunday worship and giving our devotion to God and be responsive to His Word to gather in community and do corporate worship, but yet we have time to go do whatever on Sunday, to be in select leagues of whatever, baseball, football, whatever, because, hey, my kid is talented. No, your kid's blessed. Your kid's not anything special. They were blessed by God, but now you're using this particular blessing because we can't get them in college no other way, and we do this select league and pay thousands of dollars but we can't tithe, but we pay thousands of dollars because we can use this blessing and I can get them into college. And I don't know if you got grandchildren or children. I am not picking on you. Please do not get mad at me. But there's a big part of Christian that makes such decisions. We can't give to God what's God, our time, our money, our tithes, but yet we can give this world all types of decisions while playing select leagues are not sinful. They're only sinful when they take the place of God. And that's being undisciplined. Obtaining God's best requires the discipline over our flesh and that which reflects with God's purpose. Either it does or it doesn't. 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they that rich run the race run all but only one receiveth the prize. So run that we may obtain that prize. You can't train for a, an event once every month, can you, Brother Lloyd? Well, how are we going to strengthen our race with God trying to train once a Sunday a month? Can't do it. So you've got to be disciplined. Number two, we talk about lack of faith, excuse me. Being undisciplined. I'm just going to get to the point here. This is the one I really want to talk about. I think this is where Esau made the biggest mistake, and I think this as believers, where we do the most damage to ourselves and miss the best God has for us. Esau undervalued God's blessing that led to him missing the best that God had for him. Let's go back to Genesis 25, 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what? What's that next word? So this birthright do me. 
Esau said, I'm about to die here. You don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't understand the situation I'm in. You don't have any idea what's going on in my marriage, my kids, my finances, my health. You have no idea. I'm about to die here. What good's that to me? Let me paraphrase this the way it spoke to me. God, you can't do anything for me. You can have your birthright. Give to whoever you want to. I'm dying here. Esau made one decision, and all of his actions culminated to the point that he failed to see, thus he undervalued the promise of God in his life. He didn't see the value so much so that he said, no, 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 I don't care if I do die of starvation. You're not getting my birthright. It's God's promise to me. What good is that promise doing? You're dying, Jacob would say. I don't know, but it's God's promise, and God's promise is more valuable and important to me than that red pottage. Oh, you're an idiot, Esau. You're dying. All you have to do is just take it. You'll be okay. You worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Esau did. I got to have that now. Flip it. What if Jacob was saying, no, oh, Esau, brother, don't do that. You got God's promise on your life. No, I'm dying. That does me no good. God can intervene. No, he's not. God's not going to do anything. I'm telling you, as believers, we do that all the time. We hear sermons. We hear songs. We hear brothers and sisters in Christ that edifies through the Word of God. We hear the promises of God's Word, hopefully, almost every day of our lives, and we scoff at them or we turn our nose up at them or we think, ah, that doesn't work, or no, nah, it's all that. And we sell out the promises of God for us for one simple reason. We don't value God's Word in our life. If He's God, and I promise you He is, and there's nothing more powerful than the, his word, and there's not, because he states that with his own word, thus it makes him God. Because without his word, he's not a God. He's the God because his word has never, ever, ever, ever been broken. But to Esau, it was no value to him. I think this was the heavier sin that Esau fell to when it came to missing God's best for his life. He undervalued the worth of God's blessings to him. He thought to himself, living is more important than God's promise. He said, well, no, he just doubted it. Same difference. If you doubt God's word and you make a decision in obstinance to it, you undervalued that promise in your life. You failed to see the value. If you make every decision based on God's promise, now you're lifting up the promise of God. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know what I'm going to get to eat. I don't know if God wants me to die of starvation. I don't know if God wants me to die of a disease, a car wreck, whatever. I don't know, but I do know God's promise does not change for my life. And I'm not going to be or waver from it. 
That's elevating the word of God in your life. Esau couldn't do that. His current condition, his emotions, his selfishness, his lack of faith undervalued God's worth in his life. It's interesting to consider that Jesus himself found himself in the very same situation. Remember Matthew chapter 4? Right before the start of his ministry, he's in the wilderness, and Satan tempts Jesus with the same food that Jacob tempted Esau with. But Jesus gives us the answer, did he not? Uh, that's okay. Don't think Jesus wasn't hungry. He was 100% human. Jesus was famine, starving, whatever condition he was in, or Satan wouldn't have tempted him with something that he knew by whom human desire his body longed for. Jesus, that's okay. Because I know that man does not live by bread alone. But what? But by the, by every word. Jesus says, I'll stay alive. I'll stay alive on the word. Food will come and go. The word of God is consistent. Yet Esau had a different point of view or emotion towards the situation. But this was the calling Jesus put on the disciples' lives as well. Remember, Jesus told the disciples in Luke 14, you're going to have to forsake your mother, your father, your brothers, your sisters. You're going to have to drop your nets and follow me. If you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to surrender to my word, or you can't be my disciple. One of the biggest things that plague the church body today is lack of discipleship. There's a lot of churches that preach the gospel. There's a lot of, you know, uh, uh, evangelistic aspects in the church going on. People are getting saved. There should be more. There needs to be more. I'm not saying there's enough on that aspect. But yet, what is greatly missing, I think greater than discipleship or, or salvation, is discipleship. That's why you see people get the gospel, they get saved, they come in church for two or three months, and they walk out the back door because they never grew in their faith, and they were never able to defend their faith or find the power of Christ in their life. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to have to surrender to my word. You're going to have to surrender everything in your life and place it underneath my calling and my purpose for you. You want to be my disciple, you can't lack or work in lack of faith. You can't undervalue my word. You can't be undisciplined. If you want to be transformed into the image of Christ, we have to be in surrenderance to God's word. Or his mind won't dwell in us. Our fleshly mind. The question is, do we have a true appreciation for God's will, God's best in our life? Do we truly desire what God wants for us? And are we at peace enough, or do we have enough faith? Do we have enough courage in ourselves to surrender to that and say, whatever your will is, God, that's what I want. I love this verse, 1 Thessalonians 5, 18. In everything, you can find yourself in some heated situations, can you not, in life? 
Paul said, in everything, give what? For this, what, is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything. Did Paul say for everything? No. Did Paul say no matter what happens to you, you have to say, thank you, Lord, give me another? No. That's military. That's boot camp. That's training. That's hazing that goes on. No, Paul says there's going to be a lot of things that happen to you that you don't like. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. And nowhere in the Scriptures God says you need to learn how to like that. No. He knows our emotions. He gave us our emotions. He understands our struggles. What he did say, though, he says in everything give thanks. That no matter how hot it is, no matter how much the heat gets turned up, hold on. Be thankful. Give thanks. Give thanks to what? Give thanks to the promise of God for your life that started with your salvation. And if he loved you enough to save you, he loves you enough not to abandon you. He didn't abandon the Israelites in the wilderness. He didn't abandon Jonah when he tried to go to, you know, to Tarsus. No, he intervenes in our lives. Why? Because he loves us enough that he wants his best for us. Problem is, he can't just he can't force us down our throat. He can't spoon feed us for for what it's worth. What we can't be is Esau. We can't find ourselves in that moment just say, "Nope, I give up on the promises of God." That we undervalue the one thing that we need more than anything in our life is the Word of God. And yet we sell it out for what we think we need at the moment or what we want in the moment. And then we find ourselves just like Esau, do we not? On our knees with tears, a lot of times physically flowing down our face, without a doubt the tears bursting out of our heart because now we realize that we sold out the promise God had for us. God didn't send Esau to hell. You know, it says in the Scriptures that he hated Esau. He hated Esau's decisions. God doesn't hate anybody. He doesn't hate me. He doesn't hate you when we become an Esau at times in our life. The only thing we're doing when we do that, we're missing the best God has for us. We learn to stay faithful. We learn to discipline ourselves. We learn to value God's Word. Then we do get the best God has for us. And we don't miss out. Then when it says, be there, be there, be there, guess what? We find out, hey, I was there. I was there and God did miraculous things. In my darkest time when I thought I couldn't take another degree, God did this. But sadly, how many believers do we hear cry out, God was never there for me. I prayed and prayed and prayed and God didn't do this or God didn't do that. Because we undervalued, we lost our faith. We were undisciplined in God's promise. Simple truth this morning, Esau gave up or missed 
God's best for his life due to his inability to hold his faith, to be humble. I skipped that one. It's, it's important to do that. I want to get to the last one. He, he, was, he lost his humility. He couldn't control his emotions. But the biggest one, the biggest one, he undervalued this for his life. I think if we start with this one, if we put the utmost value on this in our life, if we make sure our life centers around this, hinges on this, and follows this, then I think a lot of ways our humility, our faith, and our control will kind of fall in line. When this is important enough to us to follow, irregardless of where we find ourselves. Don't undervalue the promises of God. If we do, then we miss out on God's best for us. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we're just... Uh, grateful that we have your word knowing that there's nothing more powerful for our lives father we you tell us plainly in scriptures right there hebrews 12 don't be like esau yeah he lost his faith we all lose our faith at times in moments of decisions and actions times we let our emotions get the best of us and it has more influence over us than your word. We always struggle with humility, our will versus your will. But, Father, I think those pale in comparison that when Esau chose to undervalue your promises in his life, that's, that's where we fall greatly when we give up on your word and fail to hold to it, understanding the power that it possesses in our lives, knowing that we stay underneath the influence of it and we surrender to it as we're called to, I think the other three things will start, will start growing by way of our faith and our humility and our control. Father, just thank you for your blessings as we always say. I ask that you forgive us in every way we fail you. But if we're here today, as we are, the greatest promise we have, as we always say, is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's death, burial, and resurrection. If you're here today, don't, don't give up on that promise. Don't avoid that promise. That's the greatest one there is. We've got to start there. If you haven't had the opportunity to hear the gospel plainly and clearly, as Deborah said this morning, we got individuals that can take you to a side room and share that with you privately. That's a promise we want to start with. That's a promise we have to start with. The beauty is that it's free to whosoever will. So as the music plays, as the Lord leads you, the altar's open. Come forward, pray with you, and pray where you're at.
Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come, Father, thank you for the truth that we can hear today, Father, and that we just apply to our everyday lives, Father, for there are many obstacles in the world, Father, that Satan has tried to put in front of us, Father, but if we put Jesus first in our life, Father, we shall overcome it, Father. Father, I pray that you bless the meal time today, Father. Bless the ones who have prepared the meal, Father, for the nourishment of our body. Thank you, Father, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Finding my